0: Amen. Have you ever considered how fascinating the human ear is? You could look at your neighbor at this point, kind of just go, well, yeah. No, don't do that. That's awkward. Plus, they might have a dirty ear. And that's, that's. Um, it's incredible to me, really, that, that, that uh, frequencies... Can enter into this cone-shaped thing on your head, and um, and your your brain can pick up the different frequencies and discern them into into language. Uh, the ear, the human ear, can be trained. Did you know that? Um, like if I were to say free pizza right now, you would you would hear that, right? You would hear that. Your your ear is trained to that. Um, when your uh, child is in the womb, and you a, if you've ever had a, a baby in the womb or, or your wife's had a baby uh, in, the room, in the womb, at 18 weeks, that baby can begin to hear its mother's heartbeat. Isn't that amazing? 18 weeks. They can begin to discern the unique rhythms of their mother's heartbeat. At 25 weeks, your baby can train, its ear is, is, is developed enough to be able to actually hear your voice. So like with my kids, you know, I would talk to my I would talk to my, my kids in the womb because I wanted them to get used to hearing my voice. I wanted to train their ear to, to know their dad's voice. Our voices are trainable, or pardon me, our ears are trainable. They are, they are trained to recognize, you know, sounds that, that are important to us, sounds that might have some kind of critical information. So if you're driving and you know you're going 10 minute, miles over the speed limit and you hear that sound behind you, you know, whoop, like your ear is trained to hear that and you instantly hit the gas, Right. And you put your phone down. I wasn't checking my Facebook. I was just using my maps. Uh, Okay. Your ear ear is trained for when your mother uses your middle name, right? Which is always bad. Okay. Once your your mother uses your middle name, it's because you're in trouble. And you know that, right? Your ear is trained uh, for that. Your ear is trained for praise. If someone's saying something kind about you, nice about you, your ear just magically picks that up. My kids know my voice because they're my kids. And uh, They selectively choose to ignore it often, okay? Um, but they do hear it nonetheless. So if my kids are on a playground and there's 50 other kids running around and I walk up and it's time to go or there's, a, the, there's a, maybe a uh, concern, and I, wanna, I want them to leave quickly, I, I yell out, pecs, and they, and they come usually because they hear my voice. They know my voice. Uh, they're, they're familiar with me. Listening to the Lord is really the defining characteristic of a believer. Knowing his voice, it's it's really what makes us in many ways believers. See, we're not saved by what we do, we're not saved by what we don't do, we're not saved by what we think or what we don't think. We're not saved by how we feel. We are saved according to how we hear. How we hear the gospel. The message, the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. Salvation is received through hearing. It is an open ear connected to a believing heart that results in a saving faith. An open heart is the funnel to a believing heart that leads to a saving faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Saving, uh, the saving agent of the human soul is a message. Isn't that interesting? News. The gospel is news, it's a message, and your ear is how you hear that message. Without an ear, you don't hear the message. So hearing is particularly important uh, in the Bible. It's particularly important. It's the defining characteristic of a believer. Listening is what reveals that we actually are Christians, the way that we hear Jesus. You don't need to turn there, but in John chapter 10, Jesus was walking in the temple, it says, in the colonnade of Solomon. This is towards the end of his ministry, after three years of him walking and spending time with the Jews... In verse 24, it said, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. If you're the Messiah, then tell us. We want to hear. We want to know. And Jesus answers them. He says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not Among my sheep. And then he says this My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The defining characteristic of a believer is that we hear his voice when he speaks. A few months ago, I was helping a friend uh, Ann, wherever she went. Uh, she is a dog breeder, and she has all these massive dogs, and they're they're quite intimidating, um, especially when there's like twenty of them, and they all are looking at you like your dinner, you know. And I went over to help her out because she was really sick. I went over to help um, build a kennel, and one of the dogs had gotten out, and so me and uh, I think Brad, uh, one of the guys that goes here, uh, Brad and I were trying to get the dog in the house, and we couldn't get the dog in the house. Big dog wasn't listening. So both of us are like trying to be macho and we're like trying to wrangle this dog and get it in the house. And then Anne, even though she's like, she's so sick, she just walks up. She goes, get in the house. And the dog gets in the house. And we're just like, oh, okay. Power, raw power. No, (laughs) this is what Jesus is saying. He's using an an agrarian illustration here to make a very simple point that my sheep, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And you know if they're my sheep because they know my voice and they listen. They hear it's a very sim- sim- simple illustration. If you're familiar with one of the most important pieces of Scripture in the Old Testament, it's called the Great Shema. What does it start with? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, etc. That first word, hear, is the, the implication that if you are truly God's people, that what makes you God's people is that you hear. And hearing is not just the allowance of sonic uh, you know, frequencies to enter into your mind. Hearing implies that you respond, that you do, that you heed, that that hearing actually informs or changes your behavior. So listening is how we become Christians. Listening is how we know we're Christians. Listening is how we grow as Christians. We hear our Lord. We hear our shepherd. He speaks. Now, in our text, it's interesting because Jesus is teaching. Jesus was a teacher. He spent most of his ministry teaching. His healing was largely to validate his teaching. And when he's teaching, uh, a lot of what he's saying is going right over the heads of his crowd. Right over the heads of the people listening. Uh, and Jesus is, he's teaching, uh, his, his, his teachings are puzzling to the disciples and they're perplexing to the crowds. Like nobody really knows what to do with some of the things that Jesus is saying. Particularly when Jesus is te- teaching in Parables like we're going to look at this morning. Our text is almost entirely parables. Jesus is teaching in these sort of strange, analogous uh, stories that have some kind of application, and the crowds just didn't really know what to do with it, and neither did the disciples. It's funny, we always assume that the best teachers are the teachers that explain things the easiest or the simplest. It's not necessarily true. Jesus wasn't just interested in saying something that was immediately accessible. He was interested in getting people on their tippy-toes, So he didn't want to just put the cookies on the bottom shelf. He put the cookies on the top shelf because he knew the disciples would climb up and get it. He wasn't interested in just saying it as as simple as possible. He wanted to see who is reaching for the truth, who is not content to just hear a story and not really understand it. That's what he wanted to figure out. So Jesus used teaching like a scalpel, to delineate who was actually part of the crowd and who was part of his crew. And there was a big difference. At this point, there's thousands of people crowding around Jesus, but hardly any of them were followers. And so Jesus is teaching in a way to see who his real followers are because real disciples aren't content with just hearing. They want to apply. They want to know the truth. They want to know how it, how it, what it really means. And that's kind of what's happening uh, in, our, in our text here this morning. Those who are truly listening want to understand, and they want to apply. Our text, we're going to look at quite a bit of, of, of passage this morning. We're going to look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1, all the way through 34. So we're going to move fairly, fairly quickly, and let me just give you a little bit of, a, of an outline, a little bit of a breakup, so that that big, massive amount of text can file in your heads. Verses 1 to 25, we're just going to call Listen. Verses 1 to 25 is about listening. We'll call it listen. And, and then verses 26 to 34, we're going to call look. Jesus is going to try to get those who are, are listening here to listen and to look, to listen to something and to look. We're going to learn something about both of these things. Now, one of the keys, before we jump into the text here, one of the keys to understanding Jesus' parables and Jesus' teaching, really, is to figure out what question he's answering. So sometimes, you know, we we come to the text, we come to the Bible, and we say, I have a question, where does it answer my question? And that's okay sometimes, right? Systematic theologies and things, we can, you know, Google's great for that. What does the Bible say about buying a Ferrari? Okay, nothing. Okay, great. Uh, You know, but that's not really how we're supposed to read the Bible. We're supposed to come to the Bible, and we're supposed to say, what's the question that the text is answering? That's the question we're supposed to be asking, right? Right? So Jesus, when he's teaching, he's not just telling them what they want to hear, he's telling him what they should be asking, and he's telling them what they need to hear. Isn't that great? So what we need to do is we need to start this morning, before we just jump into the text, we need to ask the question, what is Jesus answering in these parables? And I'll tell you, because I've already done the work, let me tell you what I think it is. Let me tell you the question that I think the disciples have that, that Jesus is answering. It goes something like this. Why is the, the preaching and the presence of Jesus getting such mixed reviews by the crowds? I mean, can you imagine? Like, uh, Jesus is healing dead people. He's doing miraculous signs, things that nobody else has ever done in Israel before. Even Elijah and Elisha, he's he's outpacing all of the prophets. He's this prolific preacher. And for some reason, not everybody's on board. Isn't that weird? Can you imagine being the disciple? You're sort of the inner cabinet of Jesus' ministry, and you're going, why isn't everybody into this? How weird. I mean, the Pharisees, the scribes, these are the the leaders of the religious um, bureaucracy of of Judaism are actually going to try to kill him. In fact, they've already decided they're going to try to kill him. And you're the disciples, you're thinking, what's going on? What's with the mixed signals? What's with the mixed reception? That'd be a question that you would probably be asking. You might be asking, If you're the disciples, you might be asking, how can Israel possibly be denying such power? Why aren't they rallying behind Jesus and saying, all right, our king is here, let's go? It's a question that they might be asking. You ever ask questions like that? You ever have a question like that? Kind of probably sounds more like this for for us. Um, Why is only a third of the world world considered Christians? And out of that one third of the seven billion people in our world, really only a handful of those are actually Christians? following Jesus. Have you ever wondered that? Does it ever bother you? Is it ever weird that that Jesus, if you're a Christian, Jesus is your everything, but to so many in the world he's they're nothing? Does it ever bother you that this message that was life transforming for you, life changing for you, to so many is garbage, it's nothing? It's it's basically a, 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 a it's fantasy. Does it ever bother you? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a question that's probably how the disciples are feeling. How can this Jesus who's so precious to us, so valuable to us, be being rejected by so many? How is that possible? Here's another question the disciples might be asking. How is it that something so small like Jesus and a few disciples is supposed to grow into this massive thing? Because they read their Old Testament and that's what, they say, it's what, it's what it says is going to happen. How can that, is this going to really happen? Is this thing really going to take off? Can Jesus and these few rabble of 12, can, can this really become something? Do you ever have a question like that in your life? Can God really use something as small and insignificant as me? Is God really going to, is he ever going to come back? Or is, this, is this thing ever going to finish Are we just going to be sitting here waiting forever, watching Fox News, trying to figure out who the mark of the beast, or or, if you do that, what the mark of the beast is, or, or who this Antichrist is? Like, Jesus, are you ever going to come back on the clouds, or are we just going to be sitting here trying to figure out how to read the book of Revelation forever? I mean, these guys are just wondering. They're wondering about the timeline. They're wondering about the progress of the kingdom. When is this going to happen? Jesus, if you're the Messiah, let's go. Let's do it. Why does everybody have such a mixed reception uh, about Jesus? So having those questions in mind that Jesus is aware of, like a good teacher, he now teaches them in parabolic fashion and explains some of these truths. So let's dive in. Verse 1, chapter 4. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, that is the Sea of Galilee. It's more like a big lake, really. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat. In it on the sea, and the whole crowd who was beside the sea on the land. So why is Jesus in a boat? Very practical reason. They don't have microphones back then. If they did, they would have used them. And so Jesus gets on a boat, pushes his way uh, off, push, pushes out from shore a little bit, so that the sound magnifies on the water. You ever been on a lake and realize you can hear the people across the lake? It's always good to remember that. Okay, especially if your friends are over there and you're saying something. You know. Okay. So so Jesus knows that he pushes off from the shore. He's also in a boat because he's afraid he might get crushed. It's very practical. Earlier in the book of Mark, it says that he had a boat on standby just because the crowds were getting so aggressive. They were, getting so, they were pressing so much, um, trying to get their piece of Jesus, if you will, um, trying to see the power that they're going to crush him. So Jesus says, forget it, I'm just getting on a boat. And we're going to push out a little bit, probably Peter's boat. And he has this projection system now. And we'll learn next week, actually, that they don't even come back to land. They just say, hoist the anchor. Let's go across the other side. I need, I need a break. Okay, so that's kind of what's happening here. Verse two, and he was teaching them, that's what he did, that's what Jesus did, he was a teacher. He was teaching them many things in what? Parables. Parables parables. And in his teaching, he said to them. Now, let's talk about parables really quick. If you've been reading the Bible for any amount of time, you're familiar with these parables. Um, but let me just explain what a parable is. Parable is actually from uh, two Greek words. The first is para, where we get parallel. It's side, on, on, on the side. Uh, and the second word is bol, or bole, which is uh, throwing. So a parable is to throw something alongside in order to make an illustration. It's very simple really. Uh, The name was given by Greek rhetoricians to describe an illustration in the form of a brief fictional narrative. Okay, So I, I probably don't need to explain what a parable is, but basically it's not like an allegory where everything has a meaning, but it, it's, it's trying to get across the big picture. And any teacher that's worth half its salt teaches in parables to some degree, right? Any kind of illustration, like my illustration in the beginning about me and my kids hearing my voice, right? That's a parable. That's just taking something that you can relate with as a human being and having some kind of a, a, a reality or some kind of a, a truth that it helps to illuminate. So Jesus taught this way oftentimes. So here's the parable. Here he goes. Here's, here's the parable. You've heard it before, probably. Verse 3. He says, listen. Most important word in the entire text. You might underline it. Listen. Do you notice there's an, explanation, there's an exclamation point next to it? Do you have that in your text? There's an exclamation point. Listen. It's the whole point. The whole point of the whole teaching today. The whole point of the whole chapter. Listen. Behold. Which is kind of like listen again. Listen. Behold. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So Jesus paints this very simple parable, this very simple picture of not for seeds, for soils. One seed, well, lots of seed, but they're all the same, and four different types of soil. And and as the seed is being thra- thrown out, it's falling in different places. Now, if you want to picture this in your mind's eye, you can picture uh, a nice young Jewish man with his muddy work clothes on, and he's got a leather satchel over his shoulder. And in that leather satchel, it's it's open-topped. There's tons and tons of tiny little seeds. And what he's doing is he's walking along this stony path, and he's reaching into his bag, and he's throwing the seed and it's going all over the place. Some of it's dribbling out of the bag onto the stone and immediately as it hits the stone it sort of bounces along and before it can even really hit soil or anything a bird is just sitting up there on a tree ready to hit it. Comes down, takes the seed. And then as he throws some other falls into what looks like good dirt but it's really shallow dirt there's sort of a crust of dirt on top of rock, and so it springs up right away, but as soon as the sun pops out, and when you're in the Middle East, the sun pops out, right? Sun pops out and cooks the seed. And then, and then the third one is, is it gets thrown kind of too far. It goes over the nice soil into some weeds, into some thorns, and it starts to grow, but the thorns just sort of choke it out. And then there's the good soil. So Jesus is painting. Now, you guys have probably read your Bible before. You probably heard this story before. This is sort of fundamental, uh, you know, parabolic teaching of Jesus. So you're already, right now, you're already inserting the truth. You're like, I know what that seed is. I know what that seed is. Okay, these guys didn't. They didn't have a clue. They didn't have a clue. And Jesus doesn't explain it (laughs) to these guys, to the crowd. He doesn't tell them. He just lets them be confused. Now, these guys are, they're an agrarian society. Galilee was kind of hick town a little bit, you know. I mean, most of, them, most of them had at some point probably been a sower. They'd thrown seed before. So they're familiar with this picture. Easy to grasp, hard to chew. They get what he's saying. They can visualize it just as much as if I'd spent five minutes telling you guys about driving through in and out and how frustrating that is when it takes 30 minutes and you're starving and then your fries are cold, right? You guys can all get that? Yeah, I know. I did that last week. It was so frustrating. And then I walk away and never tell you why I brought that up. You're like, why did Sam just talk about why did he talk about in and out? What are the that's kind of what Jesus does. He brings up this parable and then he walks away. He books it bookends it in verse 9 by saying, Who he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, if you really want to know what this is, listen. He's putting the cookies on the top shelf. He wants to see who's gonna stretch up and get him. He wants to see who his disciples are, because disciples listen. Disciples want to know the truth. And that's why in verse 10, the disciples come to Jesus when they're alone. It says, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. Those who are really interested in the truth seek it out. They pull Jesus aside and they say, hey, can you tell us what that was all about? That little story about the seed, like what in the world? Are we supposed to think about that, right? Now, Jesus says something interesting here in verse 11. He said to them... To you, it has been given the secret, note that word, of the kingdom, note that word, of God. In other words, glad you guys came and asked me. It's actually for you guys. You get the truth. Oh, sweet. You get, the, you get the truth. You get the secret. Now, that word secret might be worth noting in your Bibles if you like to write in. It's the Greek word mysterion, the Greek word mysterion, where we get our word mystery. It's a fascinating word. Really, it has a couple implications. One is it's, it's uh, counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. Uh, one is it's unexpected. The way that the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom, is breaking into the world, listen, is unexpected. It's counterintuitive. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, God doesn't work through the means that you would think he would work through. He doesn't pick the people that you would think he would pick. And it doesn't often grow in the way that you think it would grow. And it's, in fact, as soon as you start to think you have the recipe to grow God's kingdom, it doesn't grow that way anymore. You know how many books are you can't even give away written by well-meaning pastors that try to tell people how to grow a church? Throw them in the garbage. As soon as you think you figure it out, it's going to change. It's a mystery. The kingdom of God grows is a mystery. And it grows in unforeseen ways. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you guys get the privilege of knowing the truth. Isn't that cool? Part of the reason that um, he has to speak in parables is because, and you might note this, only a metaphor can describe a metaphysic. Only a metaphor can describe a metaphysic. When Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking about something immaterial. It's not a physical kingdom yet. It's breaking into the physical kingdom. So how do you describe something that's not material? You have to give an analogy of some sort. So Jesus is doing his best to describe something that that they've never seen, that they've never understood, that they've never been part of, and he uses physical things to describe that. Uh, We kind of do the same thing with God. God is spirit, right? Um, And and we don't actually know how to describe his attributes, so we take physical things and we try to illustrate those sometimes, like the Trinity. How do you explain that? Well, people try to use an egg or water, ice fog, whatever, and all of them kind of break down. Jesus is trying to explain the the metaphysical realities of the kingdom of God, and the only way he can really do that is through parables. Verse uh, 11, he said to them, To you it has been given to know the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside... Everything is in parables. In other words, everything is confusing. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And it may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. That strike you as weird? Jesus is like, yeah, I'm being confusing on purpose. That's not very Jesus. Aren't you? Isn't that unloving? Don't you wish that all would come to repentance? Don't you love the world? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that he could come confuse them so they wouldn't get saved? Is that what it says? I don't think so, unless that's some translation I haven't read. What is Jesus saying here? How is he saying, yeah, I'm I'm basically being intentionally confusing. Let me offer you a few thoughts. First of all, um, a closed ear doesn't open anymore with more information. We talked about this last week with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? The scribes weren't interested in worshiping Jesus regardless of how much information In fact, the more information that came, the more they were intent on shutting the mouth of the gospel. All the way to the point of covering up the resurrection of Christ. Okay, So Jesus knows that more information isn't necessarily going to change the heart of the crowd. Those that are interested in truth are going to come and he's going to give them the truth. Jesus knows that the crowd is interested in the terrific, not in the truth. There's a difference. They're interested in seeing something happen. They're not interested in the truth. Otherwise, they would have been following Jesus, asking him to interpret the parable like all the other disciples were. You notice there's a, a distinction in the crowd here? There's the big crowd. Half of them leave. They're not, they don't even care what the parable means. They're like, well, guess he's not doing a miracle today. Try again tomorrow. Guess we're not getting a free lunch today. Try again tomorrow. The other half... The disciples of Christ, they follow him around. They say, hey, what does that mean? I want to know the truth. Jesus is like, it doesn't matter how much truth I reveal. These guys aren't interested in the truth. They don't want it. So I'll speak in parables. Just some things to think about. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but it's also worth noting that there is going to come a point where Jesus will turn the lights on, and this is simply not that point yet. It's called Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and the gospel was unleashed on the Gentiles. Jesus, this might sound kind of strange to say, but Jesus actually didn't come to be an evangelist. He came to be the sacrificing atonement. He came to to purchase the kingdom on the cross. He came to to, to resurrect from the dead. And then we, the church, his body are the evangelists. We come and we preach the message of Jesus' life. So Jesus isn't super interested in everybody getting it right now. That's really not the point. Moving on, verse 13 and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? In other words, this parable is the key to unlocking the other parables. There's something about this parable that if you can get it, you'll get the other ones. Okay? Um, and, and that's why he takes the moment here to explain it. Uh, and now we're going to look at Jesus' interpretation of his own parable. Now this is super interesting because Jesus almost never explained his parables. He just kinda of let it, he just kind of threw him out there. And this one he explains. We have Jesus' commentary on his own parable, which is really interesting. Do you want to read it? Are you excited about it? We're going to see what Jesus says this parable means. Soil by soil. Here we go. He says, verse 14, first, the sower sows the word. That means that the sower is someone throwing the gospel. It doesn't say who. It could be you, it could be me, it could be Jesus, it doesn't matter. The sower is anyone who's throwing the gospel out. To the soil, throwing the word of God out. And now he's gonna go through each of the soil and explain what they are. And I want you to notice that each soil has a deficit and each soil has a resulting war agent, like something that's gonna get the seed because of the soil's issues, okay? Soil number one, we're gonna call this spilled and snatched. Spilled and snatched. Remember, this was the soil that fell or dribbled out of the bag or fell out of his hand, slipped between the fingers and and sort of bounced along the hard path, okay? Um, And then the birds of the air were immediately there. They come down and snatch it, spilled and snatched. He says in verse 15, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Have you ever experienced that? Have you experienced, like, you're telling somebody about Jesus, you're telling them the gospel, and you can literally see it as it's happening. I have a particular friend that I've grown close with, and I've told him the gospel about 10 times, and every time, it's like I can see him softening, and I'm like, is this it? Is he going to get saved? Is he going to believe it? And he'll be like, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. But what about this? And it's like the enemy literally just swooped in because of the hardness of his heart and just snatched that right out. And it never had time to actually begin to sprout. It's a reality. It happens all the time. Verse 16, the second soil. We'll call this shallow and scorched. Shallow and scorched. It says, these are the ones sown on rocky ground. Remember the one that fell on so, sort of shallow soil and it, it sprung up right away and then it, it got torched by the sun? Uh, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Okay, so the, the shallow soil means that they didn't have a root system and as soon as anything hard comes, as soon as a trial comes, they're cooked. Have any of you guys ever experienced that before? There was a young man that got saved when I was a youth pastor and it was the most radical salvation. Everybody was stunned that this kid, his whole family was in prison for armed robbery. His mom and dad were were, were drug dealers. I mean, this kid was like the hardest kid in town and he got radically saved. Two days later, he's running around carrying a John MacArthur commentary and telling everybody about Jesus and we're like, what just happened? Three months later, he denied Christ and now he's in prison for stabbing somebody. Now, I hope that that was a true salvation, but I don't know. I haven't talked to him. The reality all of us have experienced is that sometimes the gospel seems like it takes immediate root. But what's the problem? The problem is it's rooted in the senses. It's rooted in the feeling. It's rooted in, the wow, this is exciting. Look at all these people who are excited about this. I'm excited too. Problem with getting saved because something's exciting is as soon as the sun comes out, you're cooked. You need a faith that goes deeper than just the feelings, a faith that is rooted in the gospel, not just in the crowd, right? And that's what we're praying for, right? Seed number three is shared and strangled. This is the one that got thrown a little too far, got choked up by the thorns. Others are the ones, it says in verse 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is America. The Western church is strangled by the love of things of the world and experiences of the world. We want to love Jesus, and we want to love the world at the same time. We want to have a really comfortable retirement, and really good vocation, and really comfortable lives, and be really safe, and never have anything scary, but we also want to have deep relationship with Jesus. And the reality is, is that the the thorns of this world are strangling the American Western Christian. Any of you guys ever um, take care of roses? There's these thing called suckers. They're these, these branches. They steal all the nutrients of the bush or the rose. If you don't cut the suckers, uh, you don't grow roses. We have a neighbor, actually, who's very concerned about our suckers. She's, uh, she's very into gardening, and we're not. And our suckers are very... We have a, a sucker ministry, actually, I think, in our front yard. And she comes over. She's like, can I cut your suckers for you? And we're like, sure, cut them, you know? That's American Christianity, man. We, we are just totally enraptured by what this world has. Fun and pleasure and money and things and status and comfort and safety and all the while the gospel is being starved, malnutritioned, given no attention. It's a reality. And then we have the last soil, verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. This is the believer. The believer that the, 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 the gospel message, the truth about Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension has landed in a hard, or not in a hard soil, but a soft soil, a plowed soil, and it has begun to grow and produce more fruit. Now, this is not to say that the fourth soil doesn't have to still struggle with the birds of the air or the thorns of this world, but it, but it means that they will not overtake it. If you're a Christian, the sun, the sun doesn't cook you, the sun strengthens you. Trials actually deepen your faith when you're a believer because you have a root system. Your root system is rooted into God's word and it's rooted into the other root system of the body. We draw life from the nutrition from each other. And so when we go through trials, we actually become stronger. The New Testament's written uh, largely about that because these Christians in the first century were being persecuted. They were being systematically persecuted by the government. So what's the point here? Let me just think a few things here on this parable. Jesus is giving his disciples an aerial view of what's actually happening when he's standing there in the boat preaching. See, for them, it looks like Jesus is just kind of like this. You know, Jesus is just standing or sitting and he's preaching and everybody's kind of listening and then everybody leaves. And they're thinking, okay, you know. Doesn't look like that to Jesus. Jesus sees past that, and you know what he sees? He doesn't see a neutral zone, he sees a war zone. He sees seed being thrown, and he sees birds dive-bombing, trying to take the seed before it can hit good soil. He sees the sun cooking life. He sees thorns strangling gospel life. He sees all of that happening, and the disciples don't even have a clue. And what he's doing in this parable is he's taking them up above. He's giving them aerial view of, of the war zone that gospel ministry really is. I mean, if you could see it right now in this room, it would blow you away. I'm just sitting here declaring God's word to you. You're sitting kindly, listening, respectful to me. Thank you. And in reality, if you could see into the spiritual dimension, there is warfare happening in your soul right now. Some of you in this room are not Christians, and the gospel is coming at your heart. And there are agents of war fighting against that message taking root in your soul. Isn't that amazing? And it's answering the question that the disciples had, which was what? What's with the mixed reception? I mean, why is it that Jesus is doing all these miracles and and not everybody's into it? Because there is a spiritual warfare happening. There's a spiritual dimension to what's happening in this moment. Have Have you ever watched any of those nature shows? There's this thing called a bait ball. It's the craziest thing. It's where like, th- millions and millions and millions of fish end up swarming into this big, giant, swirling ball. And the reason they swarm is because all of these different predators are attacking from every single angle. There's literally whales coming up from the bottom and there's dolphins pinning them around the side. And the birds are literally attacking. Have you seen this? You've got to Google it. Bait ball. Look it up. The water is literally fizzling because these, these fish have nowhere to go. They're just being attacked every single angle from every single agent. This is what spiritual warfare looks like. That's what gospel ministry looks like. You finally muster up the bravery to tell your friend about Jesus and he doesn't hear or she doesn't hear? You think this is a neutral zone? It's not a neutral zone. It's a war zone. Satan doesn't want the gospel to take root in anyone's heart, particularly your own. Can I just make a quick point here, by the way? And I I Googled this word, so I'm going to use it. Okay, you are not a pedologist. Can you say that? I'm not a pedologist. You're saying, what's a pedologist, Sam? A pedologist is someone who is an expert in the study of the soils. You are not an expert in the study of soils. You throw the seed. Just throw the seed, man. Throw the seed. You don't know. That's the point of the parable. The point of the parable isn't, man, this guy should have had better aim, (laughs) okay? That's not the point. The point is you just chuck the seed. You chuck the seed and the Holy Spirit will decide whether, I mean, it's not up to you to make the seed work. It's just up to you to preach it. The Holy Spirit is the one that creates and tills the soil. Let me say one other thing. The best soil, is there any kids in here? The best soil is full of crap. It just is. You think your life's a mess? You think, you think that person in your family that you dread coming to Thanksgiving? You think, you know, I just don't know that they're ever going to really want to hear the truth. Manure is the best agent for growing uh, life. It really is. <laughs> I may mean, say that tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. Okay, God, God uses the crap in your life. He uses the crap in your life as manure, and, and oftentimes it's the best thing. The other thing is, is, you know what makes dirt really good for seed? Plowing. Plowing hurts. Plowing's uncomfortable. Plowing is the season in your life where you feel totally tilled, where you feel like, man, I am just wrecked. I have struggles in my heart. That's the perfect time for the gospel to penetrate the hardness of your heart because you are God. I mean, th- there, there is something about trials that open up our heart to the truth of Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Now, Jesus is going to give another parable. i got to hurry up. He said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light if anyone has ears to hear let him hear jesus teaches another parable that really dovetails in with the the, the previous one he he says look here's the deal Now, I have to explain this to you guys because you live in 2021 and you have, you know, dimmer switches and and lights and and, um, these guys wouldn't have needed explaining. But here's here's the explanation. OK, lamps were for lighting. Duh. Oil was expensive and you wouldn't light a lamp unless you really needed it and you wouldn't let it burn longer than you really needed. it. so if you're going to light a lamp, it better be for a reason. Because oil is expensive. And if you're going to light a lamp, you're going to put it in the place in the room that's going to really offer maximum lighting. So what's Jesus getting at here? He's saying, look, nobody lights a lamp unless the purpose of the light is to go out. Why is he saying that? Well, I would imagine he's saying it because the disciples, upon hearing this parable of how all these seeds end up not growing, are going, well, that's really discouraging. Does that mean that, like, I mean, one in four? Really? Really? And Jesus encourages them by saying, hey, look, the light's going to come on at some point. The light will come on in a way that will blow, actually, the, uh, the, the moment they're in out of the water. And that moment is Pentecost. The moment is when the Holy Spirit falls and the gospel breaks forth unto the nations. And thousands and thousands were saved. And thousands and thousands have been saved. And thousands and thousands are being saved right now because the light came on. The Holy Spirit is actively working in this world. So that's encouraging. Yeah, not every soil receives the seed, but the reality is that the light of the truth is now known. Read the book of Acts. It's really what it's all about. Verse 24, we're going to learn some things about how to listen. Are you ready? And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So Jesus actually gives us some really helpful principles here about how to be good listeners. How to listen with stewardship. Okay, just a few things he says. First of all, a good listener listens with contemplation. Notice he says pay attention. Those two words right there, pay attention. Uh, That means that you don't just allow something to go into your ears. You actually chew on it. You let it affect you. You interact with it. You think On it, you meditate about it. That is a lost art. It's a lost art. We're good at hearing things, we're not good at really letting them roll around in our hearts. We're not really good at letting them press us to change and repentance. I love what uh, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said when someone asked him why he meditated on the scripture. He said, Because I'm a Christian. I love that. Because I'm a Christian. What does a Christian do? They listen. They listen to the words of their Lord. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone that listens to their their master. What's a Christian? A Christian is a disciple that listens to Jesus. We listen, and we listen carefully. So Jesus says, pay attention. Pay attention. And then he says, you got to do something with the knowledge that you're hearing. Do you notice that? Uh, He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's like protein like protein. I mean, in America, we have no shortage of protein. What we have a shortage of is gym time, right? We take way, we eat way more calories than we use. Chiefest of sinners, okay? Right here. I mean, protein, pro, it's what cracks me up. So I was like, I'm going to have th- three protein shakes today. I'm like, are you going to run 30 miles? Like, are you going to use all that? What we do in the church is what we do in the West. We, we eat, 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 eat truth. Give me knowledge, give me knowledge, give me knowledge, give me knowledge. We don't do anything with it, and that leads to all kinds of medical issues spiritually. Jesus is literally, I mean, it's just right here. He's saying, to the measure that you use, the truth will be the measure that I will give you more. You want more calories? Burn the ones I gave you. And that doesn't just mean applying, that means sharing. It's part of the reason here in about five minutes we're going to break into circles and we're going to have discussion because I want to train this church, I want this church to be a church that takes what they hear and then uses it in conversation, to encourage one another, rather than just, oh, there's another sermon, there's another sermon. Guys, I've listened to thousands of sermons. Big deal. Big deal. It doesn't matter unless I've actually used, I know this is basic, but unless I've actually used what I've heard. And Jesus is just saying, he's like, if you want to learn more, then use what I've given you. Listenership or uh, the listening is accumulative. He says that still more will be added to you, for the one who has, more will be given. It's like snow. Once you get that first layer of snow, it begins to build from there. Okay, The more that you listen, the more that you use, the more that you hear, the more that God will give. He sees his truth as an investment, and he sees you as an investor, which means he'll give you the truth if you use it to build the kingdom. If you're just sitting on it, he's going to stop giving it. He gives you the truth to use it. We need to use it. Now lastly, let me just wrap up here. Jesus is going to finish these parables out with two last parables and he's going to switch in, he's going to switch from listening to looking he's going to say now i want you to look at something i want you to look at something and remember the questions that these guys have in their head why is this starting so small why is this taking so long can we speed things up a little bit here is there something we can do to move this along jesus this is taking a long time and jesus is going to give two parables that i think answer that question number 1 verse 26 i'm calling this sleep ministry anybody excited about this sleep ministry We're gonna start a ministry here called Sleep Ministry. No, I'm just kidding. Verse 26 is Sleep Ministry. He said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Okay, similar to our last parable. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he doesn't know how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of the ear. When, When the grain is ripe at once, he, pull, he, pull, he puts the sickle because the harvest has come. How cool is that? He's like, the kingdom of God is like this. You throw some seed out, you go to bed, you wake up with your flashlight thinking you can catch it growing, and you can't. Remember when you were a little kid and you wanted to see yourself grow? Did you ever do that? Was I the only one? You're like, maybe if I look in the mirror long enough. Or my daughter, she's so excited to grow up, she goes and weighs herself every three minutes. She's like, did I get any bigger? Did I get any bigger? Did I get any bigger? It doesn't work, right? This is, this is kind of the point here. This is the mysterion of the growth of the kingdom of God. You don't see it happen. You don't know how it happens. It just happens. And it happens when you're sleeping, which is great, because otherwise you'd take credit and write a book. And then you'd think you knew something, and that's what everybody does. Uh, but the reality is that the mysterion of kingdom growth is a mystery. You don't make it grow. Anybody ever shared the gospel and somebody actually heard it? And you're like, what did I do? I got to do that again. What was the trick? There's no trick. You just communicate it, you preach it, you throw it out. And the mystery of the kingdom is that it happens. Kingdom growth happens mysteriously, it happens inevitably. Don't freak out, it's going to happen. Even though, you know, it it happens when you're sleeping, it happens when you're not looking, it happens when you're not trying to manipulate it, control it. it. That's when it happens because otherwise you'd take credit for it. The other thing I think we're meant to see here is that it happens incrementally. You notice that? It happens in stages. The kingdom of God growing in your life, the the Christian maturity that you should be longing for, it happens in stages. Okay, so it's not all going to happen now. It's not all going to... And I'm really sorry for those that are used to the DoorDash, Instacart kind of lifestyle. Like, Christian maturity isn't on DoorDash. It takes a long time. It's a long process. The kingdom growing in your life, maturity growing, growing up into Christ, It's not something that you just get. It happens in stages and processes. It's, It's... it's it's a process. It also happens productively. You notice the point is for a harvest. Do you think God is just investing his spiritual riches in you so that you can just have them for fun? Or do you think he's actually trying to do something? He's trying to produce fruit. He's invested his seed in you so that you can produce more seeds. Did you know that fruit is really like a seed container? It's it's kind of like a seed container. I mean, the whole purpose of fruit is to drop seed on the ground to make more trees to make more fruit. Are you with me? I know this is really complex. Uh, seed container, I don't think that's real. But it, it's like a seed container. And the, the whole point of fruit, and a lot of times, so the animals come along and they pick up the fruit and they fly over and then they drop it somewhere else after they've eaten the fruit. Okay. Jesus is like, I'm going to produce fruit through you. I'm planting my seed in you so that you produce more fruit because there's a harvest coming. Who's the harvest for? It's for God. Because God exists for God. He exists for his own glory. And he's planted his church. He's planted his bride. He's planted us for his own glory. One last parable, verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Again, he's trying to describe this metaphysical thing, the kingdom of God, with a a parable. What can compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? And then he gives this one. I love this one. It is like a grain of mustard seed. Okay, grain of mustard seed is the size of a grain of it's the size of a grain of sand. It's the smallest of all seeds that they knew about at least at the time. Okay, it's a grain of a mustard seed which, when sown in the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. What's the point here, Jesus? Okay, he's answering a question that they have, and the question is. Can you really take this insignificant thing and turn it into something in the answer? Yes. Yes. Jesus is saying I'm going to take something that no one would expect, like a seemingly uneducated hick from Nazareth and a bunch of fishermen and a, and a, and a, a, a zealot and a betrayer, and I'm going to turn that into a a kingdom that will um, within it hold millions and millions and millions of believers that will literally change the face of the earth within hundreds of years. He's saying, I'm going to take something very small and I'm going to grow it very, very, very large. And it's still growing exponentially. Did you know that? Isn't that cool? I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it because in, in Christianity, we're sort of in this culture war right now. And we're all being strangled by the cares of this world. But in many third world countries, and I mean, the, the the gospel is exploding. Exploding in these these countries, particularly where there's persecution. It's an amazing thing. It grows microscopically. It grows exponentially, and it grows into its own ecosystem. It grows into its own environment that the birds of the air can nest in. It's just a beautiful thing. So Jesus is giving these these windows into the kingdom of God. So what's the point? Let me just give you a few applications we're going to break into conversation. Just consider these things. First of all, uh, this is a call here to stop obsessing about worldly things and start tuning into kingdom things stop stop obsessing about worldly things and start tuning into kingdom things it's really easy when you watch the news every night to just feel like the world is really just dis, de, just depressing but you're not watching the mustard seed grow you're not watching the you're not watching the power of the kingdom of god exponentially expand throughout the world it is it is. The power of the gospel is still unleashed in this earth, and the Holy Spirit is still working. we got to tune into that. Jesus is trying to get these guys to tune out of the national um, perspective of Israel and tune into the spiritual perspective of his kingdom. And we need to do the same thing. We need to start noticing the small things as they accumulate into big things. God wants to work using the least likely things in your life because he gets the glory for it. Tune into those things. We need to start watching the hard things and see that God uses those hard things to grow into his eternal things. It's a perspective change. Verse 33 and 34 are textings like this. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. Isn't that great? Jesus taught patiently, it says, um, only as they were able to hear it. And he taught intimately. He taught to his disciples in a way that he didn't to the crowds. What a joy it is to be part of the kingdom of God, to be privy to the secrets of the unforeseen, the secrets of the unexpected, the secrets of the counterintuitive growth metrics of Jesus' kingdom. So glad that I get to know these truths and that Jesus patiently and kindly walks me through them. Okay the point the point of all of these parables that we've discussed is that God's choice mechanism for growing his kingdom is seed and ear message and listening to that message that's why we're a gospel centered church that's why we declare the gospel to each other that's why we preach God's word that's why we believe that how the kingdom grows is by going out and declaring the the news of the the of, of the, the victory of Jesus Christ it's a message It's a message looking for ears that will hear it, looking for soils that are open to it. And our job is just to fling it. We just keep flinging it and hope that it grows. There is no growth without the gospel. Okay? There is no growth without the gospel. There's a lot of um, people that would claim to be Christians right now saying the church is going to grow not through the gospel, not through that boring, stiff Bible thing that's just out of date and, and not tuned into gender. Um, no, the, the, the church is going to grow through social justice and through just these, these things. I would say no, the church grows through the gospel and only the gospel. The church has only ever grown through the gospel. It's The power of the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. That is where the power is. We keep planting that. I'm gonna keep planting that every week. Will you help me? Just keep planting it, planted in each other. Christians need the gospel. The lost need the gospel. I need the gospel. The world needs the gospel. That's the mechanism of growth that God has chosen. Word and ear. And as his disciples, we are his disciples because we listen to him. Are you listening? Are you tuned in? Are you listening to his word? Are you listening to his word with weight? Does he carry gravitas in your life? When you open the word, do you have a sense of reverence? When you open the word, do you think this is the word of God? I am his sheep. He is my shepherd. I want to hear his voice. I would just encourage you tomorrow morning when you wake up, assuming that you do, wake up and read your Bible, I would just encourage you to open it and hold it and take two minutes just to consider the gravitas of what you're holding. And then say, God, I'm listening. I'm listening. You don't have to find his word in the clouds. He's spoken. It's right here. Just read it. But hearing isn't just letting it go into your ears. Hearing is letting it transform your life. Hearing is is hearing with a sense of of anticipation and transformation. There is no growth through systematized organics, only through messy, earthy, organic growth. It's a mess. Welcome to church. It's a mess. Look around. We're all a mess. It's fruit trees. You ever ever had a fruit tree in your yard? It's a mess. We We have a plum tree. We have two plum trees in my yard. They're a mess. Sticky. All over the place. That's church. We're just a mess, but we're producing fruit by the power of the Spirit because we listen to him. Amen. I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna spend about 10 minutes in circles. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the way you love us. Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you do speak, and we wanna listen. We wanna become listeners. Lord, I pray that we would not be the crowd, God, that's only interested in what we can observe, but that we would be disciples that wanna know the truth that we would be transformed by that. Lord, as we turn inward now and break into groups, Lord, I pray that we would have good conversation. I pray against anyone feeling, Lord, any kind of a fear in this time, Lord, that we would know that we're loved, um, that we're cared for, and that we would just be able to hear each other talk a little bit about these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.